Hey friends, it's Jenna Overbaugh here. I'm a licensed professional counselor and I'm here to help you do all the hard things, including busting through your fear, intrusive thoughts, and worry so you can live your best life. Some of my earliest memories were being anxious and I lived my life that way until I learned more about OCD and anxiety. Since then, I learned as much as I could and I've been helping people overcome their fear and worry since 2008. Over the years, I've acquired some of the best education, training, and empowerment tools to help you understand your brain a little bit better and to finally overcome all of that fear that's been holding you back. Now, if you're ready to learn more, let's get to it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, I'm super excited to be back here just nerding out about another anxiety-related concept. And this one is really cool because I think it is relatable to a lot of different people, a lot of different populations. So if you are one of those people who has ever been too stressed to be productive, or maybe you've not been stressed enough, so you just can't get the momentum or the care to get going on something, then this episode is for you. So we're going to talk today about the Yerkes-Dodson curve or the Yerkes-Dodson law. And what that is basically a relationship that states that basically anxiety can help improve your performance, meaning make it better, but only to a point. Then anxiety starts to have a negative effect on your performance. Again, I'm really speaking to students, teachers, really anyone who's working I think it can also be really relevant to moms and just the job-related anxiety that comes along with that role. And honestly, the way that I see it presenting itself to me most is with people in treatment, specifically people who want so badly to get better and want so badly for the treatment to work that they become hyper-focused on whether it's going to work or not, and they just get so anxious about doing it perfectly that literally that's like the one way that I tell people that you can do treatment wrong, (laughs) Um, other than obviously ritualizing like crazy through it. The one way that you'll make sure that you can do just annihilate the potential of your treatment working is if you're constantly anxious and obsessive about if it's working. So really anyone who has anything that they want to perform well in, this episode is for you. It can be just day-to-day tasks or related to job or school or really anything. Like I said, it it comes up for me when my clients are really worried about treatment. They really want to do well. They put so much at stake when it comes to getting better that they end up not being able to focus. So definitely too, when people are anxious in school or in the work environment regarding not making mistakes, comes up a lot for people when they are reading information, like reading either academic books or Even just enjoyable books, they feel like they have to comprehend every single little thing. Also comes up a lot, like the big example here that was going to resonate with a lot of you is going to be just that classic test anxiety. So Yerkes-Dodson Law or Curve is 
an empirical relationship that was developed by two psychologists back in 1908. And it refers to the relationship between anxiety or pressure and performance. So think of a simple bell curve in your mind. So if you could just imagine like an X and Y axis, and then basically just a bell curve or a hill, it's going to look like a hill that goes up and it peaks and then it comes back down. So it looks just like a bell. And if you can try to envision on the x-axis, so going going horizontally, think of that as being arousal or anxiety or pressure. And then on the y-axis going up, you have performance. So even write it out. That might be helpful. Or in the show notes too, I can make sure that I post a link referencing you guys to something so that you just have a nice visual to go along with it. So again, like going from low anxiety on one end to high anxiety on the other end. And then for the performance axis, going from low performance or poor performance to high or really good performance up top. Yeah, just trying to maybe visualize it or drawing it out might be helpful. But again, like if you follow this bell curve, you're going to see that at low levels of arousal or anxiety or at low levels of pressure, according to this Yerkes-Dodson law, you can expect also to have low performance. So this is at like the beginning part of the hill, so to speak. So like really before it starts to peak up, you're at the low end of the anxiety spectrum and you're at the low end of the performance spectrum. So at that level, like where that bell curve meets at low and low, you're going to have low anxiety and so you're going to have low performance. On the opposite end of the spectrum, if we're talking about really high anxiety or really high amounts of pressure, you're also going to see low levels of performance. This is the downside of the hill of the bell curve or of the um, bell curve. Then it's at the middle where you have actual hill parts. That's where the peak performance is. That's really at the top of the hill or at the top of the bell. You're going to see that peak performance. And where does that fall? It falls right in that moderate level of anxiety. Basically, according to this kind of law, low levels of anxiety or pressure are going to lead to low levels of or low performance or weak performance. High levels of anxiety or high amounts of pressure is going to also result in low or poor performance. And really with moderate levels of anxiety, you're going to expect peak performance. So again, as I mentioned, anxiety helps improve your performance. So it takes it from we're going to low to moderate anxiety. And as you go from low anxiety to moderate anxiety, you experience an increase in your performance, but only to a certain point. Then it peaks, it becomes no longer helpful. And then you start to see that negativity go down, that decrease in your performance. We're going down that hill. So now I'm going to take you through examples of each. And Try to think of something that you're not stressed about at all. So maybe there was an exam in school that you didn't care about. Um, Maybe you don't care at all about making your bed in the morning. If you have low anxiety or low pressure about this task, then you're going to have weak performance, right? So you're not going to perform as well on the exam because you're not going to put forth the effort that it requires to study. And if you don't care about making your bed or if there's no pressure to make your bed nicely, if you're not anxious about the natural consequence of not making your bed, then you're probably not going to care about it very much and you're not going to make it as neatly or as 
correctly because you don't care about the consequences of not doing that. So a good example of this that I always give my clients is when I was back in high school, I had to take a woodworking class and my GPA was high enough. And this class was like an eighth of a credit or something ridiculous like that. So even if I bombed class and legit did not even show up, it wouldn't have affected me that much. And I didn't care about woodwork. I wasn't invested in the class. And so you could say that I was at like the low, low end of the anxiety or pressure spectrum, right? Like I didn't have a lot of pressure as far as my GPA was concerned. I wasn't personally invested. So I didn't have the personal pressure or even the external pressure of having to do really well. So I had low levels of anxiety and pressure and arousal when it came to this class. So I never tried. I never studied and I never really worked hard. I think I showed up a couple of times. I didn't have anxiety about the class. I didn't care enough about the consequences and I wasn't invested. So my performance in the wood class was pretty weak. And as a result, I was often tired in class. I was sleepy. I was fatigued. I just couldn't concentrate no matter what because I wasn't anxious about it. It was hard for me to stay focused and to stay motivated during that course. Now, on the other hand, let's try to imagine something that you're super stressed about, like the most stress that you could possibly imagine thinking about something. So think of those students who are so incredibly anxious about a test that they end up avoiding it or they avoid it and they avoid it and they avoid it and they're just so anxious that they can't even concentrate. Think of being so anxious during a presentation that you end up freezing and forgetting everything that you prepared to say. In these situations, you have such high anxiety that you end up having, again, low performance because things just aren't clicking. You're not able to access parts of your brain that you would typically allow for peak performance. Your anxiety is fooling you to be in fight or flight mode at that point. And typically what ends up happening is you're just so afraid of this task and you've built it up to be this insurmountable thing that you avoid it so much because you've made it to be so daunting. So you avoid it. You avoid the test because it's just this impossible daunting thing. And then obviously by not studying because you're avoiding it, you set yourself up to fail and your anxiety then is clearly impairing your performance at that point. So Another example from my life would probably be when I was in graduate school, I worked under an advisor at one point who absolutely scared the crap out of me. So we just didn't get along. Our relationship was pretty volatile. And I had a really hard time asking this person for help because I didn't feel like this was a person who was really receptive to my questions. So basically, I was in charge at one point of a pretty big project. And I remember I had a question, uh, but I didn't ask her because I was so anxious about the interaction that I just avoided it and I tried to, to do it on my own. Ends up I was wrong and I didn't know what I was doing. So I had poor performance in that situation because I had such high anxiety about it. And again, another perfect example, too, is anyone out there who has OCD and anxiety And they feel like they need to reread things constantly. They can't get through a paper or a chapter in a book without constantly having to go back and reread. It's because you're putting so much pressure on yourself to read it and to comprehend everything to such an extent that, again, it feels daunting. So you probably avoid it. This once enjoyable thing of, say, reading, 
your anxiety has put so much pressure on it, has put so much at stake on it. I have to comprehend everything. I have to comprehend everything that you end up building it up to be this thing that you end up wanting to avoid. So then you have low performance, meaning not even doing it at all. And then when you do end up reading, you're so anxious about it that, yeah, you just don't want to do it anymore. It's really just a mess of a situation. Let's talk about this middle though. So this peak performance area where you have this moderate level of anxiety or this moderate level of pressure. And this is really where you're going to see yourself and see others exceed when you have moderate proportionate levels of anxiety. And so again, anxiety is a good thing. Anxiety in the right doses when it's in your control and you're using it to your advantage. Anxiety can be a super great motivator. It's actually its function. It's good to be anxious about things and it means you care. It means that you are invested in something and you're aware of and wanting to avoid the consequences of not getting this thing. For instance, I wasn't, again, I was not anxious about my woodshop class. I didn't care. That wasn't a good thing. We just have to make sure that we keep that anxiety in check and that we're using it to our advantage so that when we start, so that we don't start to go downhill. And so we don't start to go towards that high anxiety level such that our performance starts to hit the pits. And this is really where you want to be for things like exams. You want to be in this moderate anxiety zone. This is how people ideally would approach treatment. So really anything that you want to have peak performance for, you want to be anxious about it enough that you care enough about the consequences that if you don't put forth the effort, X, Y, and Z might happen. You want to be motivated to put in the work that it takes you to get you to your goal. But you don't want so much anxiety and put so much at stake and have so much pressure on yourself that you end up going the other way into the poor performance zone because you have such high pressure and high anxiety about it. If any of this is resonating with you right now, then you need to check out the OCD and Anxiety Recovery Blueprint. The OCD and Anxiety Recovery Blueprint is my no-holds-barred, real-talk, three-part course for action takers who want to gain control over their OCD and anxiety and take their freaking life back. It is truly recovery like you've never seen before. I made this OCD and anxiety recovery blueprint because I was sick of the same old vanilla recycled mental health content on social media, on the internet, and I wanted to raise the bar. I wanted to create a world where people could recover for good with or without a therapist. So the OCD and anxiety recovery blueprints, you could get it all together. It's over 100 videos, over 35 hours of content, but you could also get one of its three courses. So we have the foundation, which is level one. This is where you will lay the groundwork for your recovery journey and truly step into your therapist role and realize ultimately how simple all of this can be when you commit to the process. Then level two, we have the transformation. This is where you would learn how to prevent rituals, including mental compulsions, dismantling all those other compulsions that really, really trouble you. You will come to understand that behaviors and mental compulsions are yours to control and never the other way around. Then we have the end game. This is where you will bulletproof your recovery no matter what exposures or challenges cross your path. I want you to take your life back into your own hands so OCD has nothing against you. If you want to learn more about the OCD and Anxiety Recovery Blueprint, just go to www.jennaoverbaughlpc.com slash blueprint or head to the link in my show notes. 
I don't do vanilla. I don't do what's your subtype. I rip open the freaking curtains and take you into the inner workings of my mind and education so you can know this as well as I do. So again, to learn more about the blueprint, go to www.jennaoverbotlpc.com slash blueprint or head to the show notes and click the link below. Another good example for this for me would be how I approach my job as a therapist. So I would say that I am moderately anxious or pressured when it comes to my job as a therapist. I try to stick to guidelines that my boss and my supervisor set for me as far as how soon we should be having someone set up with exposures, how often we have to chart. I make sure for the most part that I meet with people every day, even though that's not required by the state. I'm not required by the state or my institution to meet with people every day, but I feel like that's what's necessary in order for me to do a good job. But I'm not so anxious that I'm sitting in my office all day avoiding meeting people because, oh my gosh, how am I going to help them? I don't know what to do. I don't want to do anything wrong because then my performance as a therapist would really suck. And I'm also not stressed enough that I just hang out in my office and chill and maybe don't even come to work because who cares? I don't care about the consequences of not having a job. So moral of the story here is to make sure that you have that moderate level of anxiety or pressure when it comes to something that you're wanting to perform well with. Now, what happens if you want good performance on something, but you can't get yourself to to care enough or to get motivated enough? Either you're at really low anxiety or really low pressure, or let's say you're at really high anxiety or really high pressure, therefore your performance is weak. There are things that you can do to make adjustments to help get yourself either from that high anxiety state back to a moderate level of anxiety or to a low level of state and kind of make yourself almost more anxious, almost, but in a functional way so that you can be more likely to achieve that peak performance. So let's say that you're at the high end of anxiety for some task. Let's say that you're really freaked out about something. You're putting way too much pressure on yourself and you know it. Let's say that you want to lower your anxiety about it somehow so that you can get yourself back into that mid-zone range for peak performance. In these situations, there are some practical things you could do, like planning ahead. So if you know that you're really anxious about this exam and it's two months out, you could plan ahead and start to plan. This is how many, how much time I need to be studying per week, per day, and try to commit to those smaller goals. That will help you moderate your level of pressure instead of making it this big exam. You have a committed plan with a step-by-step action that you can follow and maybe feel a little less anxious about. Second thing that you could do to practically lower your anxiety in these situations is practice respiratory control. So respiratory control is going to be a really good portable breathing technique that you can practice anytime, anywhere. If you need a recap of what that is and why it's so awesome and how to do it, it's episode number three on my podcast. So definitely go ahead and make sure that you use that. Respiratory control is going to be really great in those moments when your fight or flight mode is taking over and your adrenaline is just rushing and you can't think straight. Respiratory control is going to be something that kicks your parasympathetic system into high gear so that you can start to just calm that nervous system down and get yourself down to a good baseline and hopefully back to that more moderate level range of anxiety. Third thing you can do is to challenge some of your negative beliefs. So challenging negative beliefs maybe about your perceived level of achievement when it comes to certain tasks, trying to just challenge negative beliefs based on the reality of the situation. So, you know, if you're, if I'm, 
thinking often of school examples. Of course, it could be anything like I've mentioned, but even something in school, thinking of the past when you would stress over certain exams, but you still ended up doing really well. So just challenging your negative beliefs and knowing that your mind plays mind tricks on you sometimes. Think about all those cognitive distortions that I talked about in previous episodes too. Tricks Your Mind Plays on You, part one and part two. Also really great podcast episodes for you guys to check out. So making sure that you're just taking part in challenging those negative beliefs so that you can become more rational and more realistic in your thinking processes. Fourth thing that you can do here is to practice mindfulness. So just taking things one step at a time. I see this a lot when people are really worried about about how to do exposures correctly or on day three, they're worried if they're going to get kicked out of the program. I tell them all the time that generally if they listen to their team, everything will be fine. But then that if they're on this high level of anxiety spectrum all the time and they're constantly asking if they're in good standing with treatment and they're so anxious about whether they do their homework or not, if they're going to get kicked out, that's probably going to lead to them being more likely to get recommended to discharge because they're not able to focus on their treatment. So really just trying to practice mindfulness. If you're really nervous about an exam or about a job interview or some other kind of work-related or school-related task, just bringing yourself back to the present moment. I'm here. I'm right now. This is what I'm doing right now in the moment to try to help myself. I am supported, so on and so forth. And then the fifth thing that you could do just more practically to lower your stress, do whatever it takes for you on a, and considering it on a case-by-case basis. What is it that helps you lower your stress? So maybe you need to listen to some music before a presentation to lower your anxiety or just distract yourself a little bit more functionally. If you need to study with friends for an exam, whatever it takes to ease some of that anxiety so that you feel like you can get back to that moderate level of anxiety. It could also be the opposite. So I say maybe an option for you is to study around friends. Maybe the opposite is true. Maybe you've been studying around other people and that's what's adding that's just too much of a of stimuli right there. Maybe you need to take yourself away from people because that's too anxiety provoking. It's just too much stuff going on for you. So just asking yourself in those moments, what do you need to decrease the amount of arousal and to decrease the amount of anxiety or pressure regarding what's going on? Because if you can decrease the amount of anxiety that you're feeling in that moment, If you can decrease the amount of pressure or kind of arousal that you're feeling in that moment, just in your body, then you're going to be more likely to get back to that peak performance zone by getting back to a more moderate level of anxiety. Now, let's say that you're at the other end of the curve. Let's say that you're at really low levels of anxiety and you just cannot get yourself to have more anxiety or to care more. And ideally, it would be good for you to be more stressed out about this thing. So if you're needing to be more stressed about something, here are some things that you could do to get yourself back up to that moderate zone, again, for peak performance. So just increasing that level of functional anxiety for you. First thing you can do is to set limits on yourself, meaning I can only watch TV after I've studied for 30 minutes. So instead of just lackadaisically just watching TV and feeling guilty about it, but then studying and not really feeling it, set limits on yourself. I can only watch TV after I've studied for 30 minutes and commit to that. Number two, set up some type of reward system. So let's say you're not really caring too much about the consequences of X, Y, and Z don't happen. Then of course, you're not going to really care too much or have too much pressure. So maybe you need to have some 
consequences there. Maybe you need to, um, you could do consequences or you can do rewards, right? So if I get an A on this test, I'll treat myself to blah, blah, blah. And for consequences, if I don't get a B or higher on this exam, then I don't get the whatever it is that I wanted to treat myself to. Third thing that you can do is you can maybe make a bet with someone, especially if you're a little bit competitive. This is maybe a fun way to pique your arousal a little bit or to increase the amount of pressure that you're experiencing in a functional way and then try to go for it and see how that helps. So really any of those things or anything that will up the ante for you, so to speak, so that you can just care a little bit more about this thing so that you can set yourself up more for success in these situations where sometimes it's hard to feel the pressure you need to. Something that comes to mind as far as this goes is I had in college, we had to take another elective and it was a theater class. And this one, again, I did not care about, did not care about taking theater at all. But it was one of those classes that it was worth a little bit more as far as my GPA was concerned. So the consequence for me was that if I didn't do well in it, then I was going to suffer the consequence of having my GPA lower to something that I personally was not okay with. And so I was in the situation where I needed to make myself care more. I really needed to make myself care more. So I had to at that time, and I think honestly it was making sure that I was able to study with other people so that we could vibe together and work together. And they motivated me being around other people and studying with other people in that scenario made me feel a little bit more anxious, made me feel a little bit more pressure. So it was just a good way to up ante, so to speak, to make me care a little bit more so that I could kick my own butt into gear, so to speak. So a couple more things about this curve. So Research has shown with the Yerkes-Dodson curve that actually different tasks require different levels of anxiety for the best performance. And it makes intuitive sense, right? There are really difficult tasks, so things that require a lot of concentration or things that are new, right? So things that we need to pay a little bit more attention to at first because they don't come naturally to us. Things that are going to be intellectually more demanding for you. These things, whether they're new or difficult or intellectually demanding, they're going to require a low state of arousal. So less music, more time to focus, doing it by yourself, maybe some repetition is going to be needed. These are going to be things that help you concentrate so that you can perform better during difficult tasks or new tasks or things that are just intellectually demanding. On the other hand, if there are more simple tasks or things that require persistence, maybe more than things that are intellectually demanding, they're going to be better with more arousal or more anxiety added to the situation. Like I've mentioned before, either by adding somehow some level of anxiety to the situation, somehow making yourself more motivated or upping the ante in whatever way you can to kind of just get yourself to care a little bit more about that stuff. With that said, let me run down a quick summary for you guys. So first things first, anxiety can improve your performance, but only to a point then it starts to have a negative effect and it can impair your performance. So you want to look out for that. Two, in low arousal or low anxiety states, you're going to have low performance. Improving your performance in this state is going to require that you become more stressed or more more motivated somehow by upping the ante, which will require you to, for instance, set up contingencies with either reward systems or consequence systems 
or a variety of other things that you can really do to practically increase your anxiety in that way. Number three, if you're in a high arousal or high anxiety state, you're going to experience some impaired concentration and impaired performance for sure. So you're going to experience exhaustion and burnout. And these feelings are eventually going to lead to just breakdown. So you're going to just get exhausted. You're not going to want to do it anymore. And to help in this scenario, what you need to do is try to lower your anxiety or lower your arousal so that you can remove the stressful stimuli like extra people or noise, or maybe try some coping skills like planning or practicing mindfulness can be really helpful too. Last thing here is just to keep in mind that sometimes the difficulty or the novelty of the task is going to affect your arousal and your anxiety level. So difficult tasks or new things are going to require you to be in a, in a lower anxiety state, whereas a task that requires more stamina and persistence is going to require you to be more motivated and increase the arousal by either listening to music, adding consequences, so on and so forth. I hope this was helpful. Keep this in mind next time when you have something that you need to perform on and perform well with. And really, there will be examples of this that come up every day. Reach out with me for any examples and any questions. I would love to hear from you guys. Thank you again for tuning in, everyone. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. It would mean the world to me if you would take a quick minute to please give it a review. And while you're at it, check out my website at www.jennaoverbaughlpc.com to sign up for my free email newsletter that includes an instant free downloadable PDF to help jumpstart your OCD and anxiety recovery journey. You can also find me on Instagram or TikTok at jenna.overbaugh. If you liked what you listened to here, you can download some of my workshops and courses on OCD, anxiety, and treatment at my website as well. Thank you so much again for tuning in and until next time, keep doing all the hard things.